Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Sif Heider, the founder of Array. I'm a wellness entrepreneur and digital creator, and this is my show, The Dream Bigger Podcast. Listen, I love dreaming big, but you know what I love more? Actually having the resources to make those big dreams happen. And hey, dreams can sometimes be private jets, but other times they can look a little something like having the best skin of your damn life or starting a successful business or delving into spirituality. So on this podcast, I chat with experts and thought leaders from different fields about their tips and tricks on doing exactly that. So let's get right into it. Hello, guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Dream Bigger podcast. So I have a super interesting episode for you guys, and it is all about diamonds. So I have always felt like the whole diamond industry has been so confusing, almost like there's a lot of gatekeeping. It's a little stuffy. You're intimidated. So I'm really excited to have Olivia Lando, the founder of The Clear Cut on today's show. And we do a deep dive into all diamond things, okay? I am talking what to look for when purchasing diamond jewelry, rules around like engagement ring shopping, things that'll make your life easier, trends that we're seeing. And we even get into things like lab-made diamonds and moissanites, which I mean, you know, these are new stones or I guess stones that have been around like in the case of moissanite, but is like becoming popular right now. And lab-made diamonds is like a whole new concept. So it was really interesting to speak to Olivia, who's been in this industry for forever, basically, and get her thoughts on everything. This is a really, really informative episode if you are wanting to make kind of like informed choices around your jewelry. I learned so much. For example, when I was growing up, I always thought that diamonds weren't exactly an investment piece. It was just something that I liked buying because it was beautiful. And, you know, gold was seen more of an investment piece than diamonds. But this episode, we kind of go into why that isn't true. And I think you guys are just going to learn so much. And, you know, I'm all about making informed decisions in every facet of my life. And so it's really exciting for me to have a jewelry specialist like Olivia on the podcast and get her thoughts on all of those things that are just so confusing to most people. So really, really stoked to bring you this episode. Before we dive in, though, I want to talk about this week's hot tip, which Quite frankly, guys, I cannot believe I haven't used before. So I had Ida Bikaj on the podcast, I want to say like 
2021 February, okay? So she is a biologique recherche trained esthetician whose spa in New York is incredible. I've been there for lymphatic drainage, just so, so good. Anyway, so in that episode, she talked about a whole skincare regimen that she recommends, including, you know, the cleanser she loves, the masks she really likes, et cetera, et cetera, like serums, everything. And in that episode, she went on this whole tangent about Masque Vivant by Biologique Recherche, which obviously is like one of those like very like cult favorite products, which everyone talks about. Anyway, long story short, I have been wanting to try the Masque Vivant for a while. I wasn't being able to find it anywhere. And then by some miracle from God, Biologique Recherche opened up a store in my neighborhood. So I was thrilled, obviously went to pick up the mask and using Ida's recommendation, I've been using it actually every night versus like once a week, which is, you know, what we typically do with a mask, but I've been using it every night and my God, guys, like my skin looks completely different. It just looks brighter and, you know, it just fresh. And I don't even know, it just looks so good every single day. It smells a little funky because all of Biologique Recherche products do smell a little bit weird. Nish calls it the shit mask. Okay. I'm just being honest here. Okay. Because it really does look like you smeared poop on your face and it doesn't smell good either, but it is really, really effective. So I totally get the hype. And if you haven't tried this mask, you really should. So yeah, go get that mask for yourself. Okay. And this week's review comes to us from Danny Living Life. She says, thank you, Sifat. You are such an engaging interviewer. It's clear that you are truly interested in the guests and dig into the questions that us as listeners want to hear. I found myself pausing the episodes so that I could take notes. XO Danielle, this is such a sweet comment. You guys, honestly, seeing stuff like this makes my whole day. It's why I do what I do. I love getting feedback from you guys. And, you know, if you can let me know the kind of guests you want to see, your favorite topics, what's really resonating, it just helps me show up as a better host. So it's like a win-win for everyone involved. All you have to do to leave a review and rate the show is open up the Apple podcast app, scroll to the bottom where it says rate and review the show. If you feel like I'm doing a good job and, you know, the show brings you a lot of value and you think I deserve it, please leave me a five-star rating. And then in the review section, honestly, pour your heart out. Tell me who you want to see. And I find that this specific tip is really helpful because it's how I go out to guests because I want to bring on people who you guys are really interested in hearing from. So it's so helpful. I so appreciate it. And so if you have two seconds and feel like, you know, the show is helpful to you, please do leave a review. All right. With that, let's welcome Olivia to the Dream Bigger podcast. This episode is brought to you by Babe Original for longer looking lashes in as little as six weeks. So between the years of 2018 to 2020, I was on the lash extension train. Okay. And then 2020 came we all went into lockdown, all my extensions fell off. And of course my real lashes were short and stubbly over the last two years. They've definitely gotten better, but still so short and straight. Like I was one of those girls that wore mascara and you could barely tell. And if you don't believe me, go to my Instagram reels and watch reels from old podcast episodes. Like I'm talking the tiniest, shortest lashes. Okay. (laughs) So I had been wanting to try a lash serum for a while, but was always on the fence about whether 
it would even work. Long story short, I saw someone I know and really trust have a 180 transformation with Lash Serum, and I decided I was going to take the plunge. My serum of choice was the Essential Serum by Babe Original. You guys, it's been almost six weeks since I started using it, and the results are pretty incredible. My lashes look insane when I have mascara on, and for the first time in years, I feel like I don't need eyeliner to accentuate my eyes. Like, the mascara is enough because of how long my lashes are. This has never happened. One thing I want to talk about is lash serums and worrying about whether your eyes are going to burn when you use them. Honestly, that was one of the main reasons I didn't want to try a lash serum but I can speak from experience that the essential serum absolutely does not burn my eyes. Like I can't even tell that I have anything on, which quite frankly is how lash serums should feel when you have them on. Babe Original promises longer looking lashes in as little as six weeks and is so confident in their results that they have a 90 day satisfaction guarantee. Personally, I couldn't be more impressed. And this is one of those products that I can see myself using for life. Babe Original has offered you guys a code. Use the code DREAMBIGGER at checkout to save 15% off your order. You and your longer lashes can thank me later. So I want to know, what is one thing about diamonds that people may not know? One thing? There's so many things. (laughs) There's like 20. (laughs) I think, well, I think there's a misconception that like, I think people might know this, but there's a misconception that like natural diamonds aren't rare, that they're like being like held in a box somewhere and that there's like unlimited amounts of them, but they are actually super, super rare and really cool because they're formed in the earth over billions of years. So how rare are we talking here? And like, also, this might be a stupid question, but like, can a diamond be formed today? Or like, do we have to wait for it to mature over a certain period of time? Well, it takes like a several hundred to like billions of years to be formed, but they're finding them here every day. But the supply of natural diamonds is not what it used to be. So a lot of the biggest mines have been depleted. So they are getting rarer and rarer every day. So you'll see that diamond, natural diamond prices have been increasing over the past couple of years. Wow, that's really fascinating. Mm-hmm. So what even got you interested in diamonds? Like, why did you get into the industry you're in? I know it's a very niche industry, but I come from a diamond family. So I'm fourth generation, I guess, in the industry. I never worked for my family, but my dad's side of the family were all diamond cutters and dealers. They're from Antwerp, Belgium originally, which used to be like a big cutting destination, not so much anymore. And then my mom and my dad started their own antique jewelry business. So they would like buy and sell like Victorian, Edwardian, like Art Deco pieces. So I grew up with industry knowledge and around it, but I personally never thought I'd get into it because they always said it was like a dying industry. There was no future in it. But I found myself graduating from college. I went to NYU and I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do. I kind of wanted to extend my schooling a little bit. So I enrolled in GIA, which is the Gemological Institute of America in New York. And the reason I knew about it was because of my parents. But I got my graduate gemologist degree while I was there. And it was like a six month long program to become like an expert in diamond grading and like identifying colored stones. And I fell in love with it. I was like, oh my God, this is my passion. I guess it was in my blood all along. And while I was there, I also met my now husband and co-founder, Kyle. Sitting right here. (laughs) (laughs) Following me around. So that's how I kind of got into it. And then after that, my first job was at Tiffany on the engagement floor in New York. Okay. I have so many questions, but yes, no, continue. This is, you are my candidate for questions. (laughs) (laughs) And that was like, 
really eye-opening and I loved, I really fell in love with like engagement rings, bridal specific jewelry. That was like my jam, but I wanted to get a little bit more hands-on. So I left and started working at a large diamond wholesaler. And while I was there, so a little bit of background, Kyle had founded a fair trade diamond mine in Sierra Leone. So that's why he went to GIA. And then he went back after school for a year until Ebola, which was the original like epidemic that we were dealing with. no kidding. So then, you know, the company shut down and he came back to New York and went to business school at Columbia. And a lot of his friends at the time were like, hey, do you know a guy that can get me, you know, a good deal on my engagement ring? Because they knew he had like ties to the industry. And I was working in wholesale. So I happened to be like the go-to guy. And (laughs) I helped, you know, educate them, help them pick out their diamonds, create their custom rings. And that led me to start the clear cut as an educational blog in 2016. And it really wasn't meant for anyone to really see it except for like my friends and be like, hey, reference this before coming to work with me. Then started posting some of the designs on Instagram and it snowballed from there. Random people started following the account, asking if I could create their rings. And it turned into this like accidental side hustle. So we recognized there's a white space in the market. And in 2018, we quit our jobs and started doing it full time. So if someone isn't familiar with the clear cut, explain why it's different. What do you guys do? Yeah. So we are a direct consumer bespoke natural diamond engagement ring company and fine jewelry company. So how we started was really specializing in custom diamond engagement rings. So working with clients to not just sell you what was in our inventory, but kind of like a consultative concierge service where we'd understand their exact preferences, price point, and then we would curate a selection of diamonds based on their specific asks, their value, their budget, and we'd look at each diamond in person to make sure it's up to our quality standards. And then once the diamond is purchased, each ring is completely custom made in New York City. So it allowed people to kind of democratize this private jewelry experience that was like really just for you know, celebrities or really wealthy people. Now, anyone anywhere could kind of get the same service and quality product. And that's kind of where we started and what we're known for. We also have a pretty large collection of fine jewelry pieces, all made in New York City, too. Super cool. So, you said natural diamond. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? So all of our diamonds are natural. That means they were mined from the earth. So they're earth created. They're Versus not lab, lab made. Okay, cool. And talk to me about ethics around diamonds, mm-hmm. because I know that this is a hot topic, but like, how can you even tell where the hell your diamond is coming from, whether it is ethical or unethical? Like, what should we be aware of? I think this side of the conversation is not talked about enough because For the past like 30 years, it's almost impossible to get a like quote unquote blood diamond, like what we're used to seeing from the movies. It's one of the most regulated natural resources and all of the biggest companies are extremely stringent on the ethics and where they come from. So recently we were in Botswana. It was super cool. We got to go to the De Beers mines and see like the whole process. Wow. So each diamond that is mined and most of the natural diamonds right now are coming from Canada, Botswana, Namibia, South Africa. They're all you know, traced by origin. It goes through the Kimberley process, which is a process that ensures that it was mined and came from, you know, a non-conflict area before it even goes into like our wholesale market. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it is like, it's not 
Not only is it not unethical, these diamonds support entire countries and communities pay for, you know, education from K through graduate school for most Botswanians go to the infrastructure of these countries and protect wildlife. So they do more than most people even could imagine. Wow, that's really fascinating. So you worked at Tiffany's. Yes. Give me the rundown because, I mean, I think the first most common question is, why are Tiffany's diamonds so fucking expensive? <laughs> like, just like, is it, are they getting the best in the world? Like, what is the deal there? It's the brand name. So you're paying for the luxury brand name that comes with the stone. So I actually had this conversation earlier today. Like, is it worth it to buy a luxury retail diamond ring. And in my opinion, it's worth paying the premium for a luxury retailer if you're buying an iconic piece. Like if you're buying a Cartier love bracelet mm -hmm. or a Jusson Clos or like a Alhambra necklace from Van Cleef, that is something to invest in because it's an iconic design. If you're buying a certified diamond and you're setting it in a platinum solitaire ring, there's no reason, in my opinion, to pay a 30 to 50% markup for that. So it's not like their diamond is something special. It's just a diamond. Yeah, it's just a diamond in, you know, higher to mid quality. But you can find a GIA certified diamond from almost anywhere else with that would be much less expensive. So talk to me about like certain myths that are there around like diamonds and engagement ring shopping. Like what are the most common ones that you hear? Because I'm sure that like, I mean, there's still this like almost Tiffany's fantasy. And I don't think the common person realizes that the diamond is a diamond. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think they realize that what they're paying for is like the brand name, which by the way, if you feel called to, you know, shop at Tiffany's, yeah. absolutely mm -hmm. pay that premium on your diamond ring. But like for the average person, I feel like there's a lot of elusiveness in the area of like diamond and engagement rings. So like, what are a couple of myths? So I think for like a long time, we were sold a fantasy of like, kind of like that sweet home Alabama scene where you like walk in and you like, yeah, proposed to, you know, in the Tiffany store. And it's like, that was kind of like the dream that we were sold for a long time. But now also women are not like just going to say yes to whatever ring they're partner gets them, right? Before we were kind of told like women are not involved in the process whatsoever. He has to just know exactly what you want. And Which, by the way, <laughs> just can we like, what the hell? Yeah. He has to just like mind read and like know exactly what you want. And you'll be surprised and you'll love it regardless because he picked it out for you. And, and I think you could be surprised. Don't know if yeah, you'll yeah. love it. <laughs> and I think that's the biggest like myth. Like most people we work with, couples work together almost throughout the entire process because it is a very significant purchase financially and like, of course, for your relationship too. You're going to wear it on your hand, hopefully for the rest of your life. So you should be involved in some way, even if it's not you picking it out, having someone that you trust or giving like, I have PowerPoint presentations from women and those are so helpful. It's like this, not this, you know, really outline exactly what you want or be involved because it's for you at the mm -hmm. end of the day, right? And it is like a big purchase. So I think the myth of needing to be completely, totally surprised. I mean, who's completely and totally surprised at this point? Like if you're about to get married to someone, you've definitely talked about it, right? So I think that myth is like not really relevant for today. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's like, I don't know if I'm buying a home, like I'm going to 
live in it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't just want someone to hand it to me. Yeah. And like be expect to be like surprised and also like it. You could be surprised. Doesn't yeah. mean it's a good surprise, you know? And yeah, I feel like an engagement ring is so expensive and I feel like there's no shame in wanting to be a part of it. In fact, like it should be encouraged. So I'm glad that people like you who are in the industry are encouraging women to be a part of the process. Oh yeah, it's, absolutely. I think it's important. Mm-hmm. What are some things that you learned while working at like Tiffany's, for example, that you would want to pass on to people? My whole goal, I think, is, and when I started the clear cut start in the industry, my goal is to make sure that when you go into this process that you're armed with as much information as possible. Like, I think since it is a big purchase, my goal has always been education first and then product later. Like, we always wanted to start with education and that's why we started with the blog and kind of like our video posts because by the time that you're ready to come to us, you want to be an expert so you feel empowered in whatever decision that you make. And I think that's kind of different from what the industry used to be. It was like you walk into a store and like you pick out whatever is available in the glass case and like that's like you have to just know that it's the best of the best and like that is what it is. But that's not necessarily true. Also, I think that it's not necessary that something like, you know, a selection of like however many rings that is like your perfect ring. You know what I mean? Exactly. Because I remember the process of finding my own engagement Mm -hmm. ring. I didn't have the knowledge that I do today, but I was, I got curious about it. And I remember going to Tiffany's and like a couple of other larger stores and I tried on the rings and it didn't suit me, yeah. you know? And what I ended up settling for, or not settling, I fucking love my ring. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the perfect ring for me. It was a one of a kind, like one from like a really special boutique jeweler. Mm-hmm. And I think like it was just like, I wish that I knew what I knew today, right. almost when I was going through the process, because you put certain expectations on yourself that you're like, oh, but why didn't it, like, why didn't it suit me? And, Mm -hmm. you know, you put like that kind of pressure. So I feel like the more information, the better. Totally. And now, you know, we have social media, we have like information on the internet. So you're not limited to whatever is in like your local jewelry store. Like, like if you're living somewhere that doesn't have a lot of choices, you still like know that you want elongated anti-cushion cut in this certain setting. So where are you going to get it from? And that's where kind of we come in. Yeah. So if someone is shopping for a diamond ring, what is it that they should be looking for? There's obviously but the four C's. Mm-hmm. Okay. Can you explain what the four C's even are? Yeah. So the four C's are like four characteristics of diamonds that kind of determine like the value and pricing. It's the carat, which is how much the diamond physically weighs itself which usually people think of as like how big the diamond is. There's color, which is how white the diamond is. It starts at D, which is completely colorless, and it goes all the way down to Z with each each step down. What happened to A to D? Or A to C? I have no idea. (laughs) They just started at D. I think there were too many things with A, B, C. (laughs) So yeah, with each step down, you get like a little bit more warmth to the zone. And then the third C is clarity which refers to like the natural inclusions, which are like little like crystals and whatnot that get caught in the diamond material during formation. So you want to make sure you don't have anything visible or something that impacts like the integrity of your stone. And then the fourth C is cut, which is how well, you know, cut the diamond is. And actually cut grade only refers to round brilliant diamonds because they have the most standardized cut. 
Interesting. So the cut shouldn't even matter if your diamond is like another shape. Not as much because you only have polish and symmetry grades, which aren't a C technically. And it really, there's a lot more subjectivity to different shapes because some people might like, you know, chubbier oval or more longer, skinnier ones. So there's a little bit more subjectivity when it comes to other shapes. Is there anything else that people should be looking for when they're shopping for this? I think when you shop for a diamond, the first thing you have to do is set a budget and it's really difficult if you start looking above that, but set a budget and then start shopping with different combinations of the four C's within that and understand, you know, what areas are you okay compromising on and what areas do you want to prioritize? Mm -hmm. And it also depends on the shape. So for instance, if you're looking for an emerald cut, I would recommend prioritizing clarity over color because it's easier to see inclusions in an emerald cut and they mask color better. Whereas in ovals, it's the opposite. Prioritize color over clarity because they can camouflage inclusions, but they might show a little bit more warmth. That is so, so fascinating. (laughs) So do you have like a specific C that you always prioritize or it really is dependent on the kind of ring? It really is dependent on the kind of stone and also what that particular client values. I would say more often than not, people prioritize the carrot C. Um, And we try to maximize as much as possible with playing with the other ones. That's most commonly the one that's prioritized. Yeah, fair. (laughs) So I was in New York Mm -hmm. when we last met and I went to the store that had like really beautiful antique pieces. Mm -hmm. And I was with my husband and they had this like really beautiful diamond ring that I liked, but they couldn't tell me anything about the C's. Is that common when you're buying an antique jewelry ring or like diamond, I guess? So if it's an antique diamond, most likely if they didn't know anything, that means it wasn't certified. So Mm, they could, if they wanted to, unset the ring, send it to GIA, the laboratory, to get a certificate, and then it would tell them exactly the four Cs. They probably just didn't, so you can like kind of estimate that. Mm. But I usually don't recommend buying a diamond that doesn't come with a certificate just because you can't guarantee that you are really paying the right value for what you're purchasing. Is it also possible that, and I'm not talking about this store, but I'm just saying in general, like you go to an antique store, you like a ring, it's a diamond, they don't have any certification. Is it possible that it could be fake? It's always possible. It is always possible. So that's why, I mean, most likely it's just, you know, an old stone that they didn't feel like certifying. But that's also why you don't want to buy anything without a certification, just because like you want to make sure it's not only authentic, but that it's like the quality that you're, you know, purchasing it for. What's the craziest story you've heard? Like, have has it ever been where, like, you know, you've heard of someone who's, like, bought this super expensive ring and then it ends up being fake? Like, have you had any, like, crazy stories like that? I've heard so many different crazy stories. I think, you know, a lot of times there are jewelers that are not reputable. Mm-hmm. And this is also why you want to have a certificate with your stone because sometimes you can buy a stone a ring and then send it back for, you know, repair or like cleaning. And then they'll replace the stone with, you know, either a fake one or a different quality. And then there's no way of you like really tracking it. Oh my God. Yeah. So that actually does happen. So that's also why you wanted to be certified and work with someone that you trust. Holy crap. Yeah. That's terrifying. I know you mentioned that you think it's really important that people set a budget when they're going Mm -hmm. out to buy a ring. How do you identify 
a budget? Like, is there a standard that people should be looking at? Because I know it was like some percentage of like how much you make or I don't know. Yeah, but like- in like the 80s, I think De Beers said it was like three months salary. But I don't think that's like, I mean, I think a lot of people do follow that still just to help them out. But it's really personal decision. I think it really depends on how important is this engagement ring to you. And you have to, you know, look at your finances. But some people spend more than three months and some people spend way less just depending on, you know, the importance to them and, you know, where they want to allocate their money. So if someone has a budget of $5,000, what should they be buying? So if they have a budget of $5,000, then for a natural stone, it's probably going to be close to one carat, most likely in like the near colorless range in like the VS or SI clarity. And colorless means? Near colorless. So that would be, so colorless is DEF and then near colorless would be GHIJ. So that's second tier. And that's kind of like the area that we usually recommend and operate in for like modern stones. And what about 10? 10K. So probably closer to like one and a half carats, maybe a little bit more, just depending. What is the sweet spot for you for like a really nice ring? Like not over the top, like opulent, gaudy, but like tasteful and like really beautiful. I think like a really good sweet spot if you want to hit like a two carat mark or something that, you know, you may not want to upgrade later and you're looking for a substantial look is probably, you know, starting around like 15 to 20K for a natural stone. How do you, like, talk to me about the process of upgrading. Mm -hmm. Like, how does it even go? Like, can you go to a new jeweler to upgrade a ring that you got years ago? So it really depends on how you go about it. But one great thing about natural diamonds is that they hold value and Mm -hmm. they've actually gone up significantly in value over the past two years. Uh So if you did want to sell your diamond to a totally different jeweler and then use that money to get a new stone, you more than likely have the opportunity to do that. With us, we'll always take back the original stone for the original purchase price minus a restocking fee and put that towards your upgraded diamond. So you can always, it always will hold the value. What if you want to put in another diamond. Like say, for example, you know, you have your ring and then you want to like add to it versus like take something away. Have you seen that happen ever? So many times. So the Trois-Mois style ring, like the two-stone ring, yeah. has been really popular. So what we've seen a lot is that someone like inherits a diamond from their grandma or whatever. And it may not be like the exact stone they want and they get a new diamond and we set them together. So all you have to do is like reset the stone basically. And someone can just bring their ring to you and you guys can just do that? Yeah. As long as it's a natural stone, then we can, we've reset a ton of heirlooms and I love like bringing new life to like old pieces. That is so cool. And then does the couple like design it with you if they have something specific in mind? Yeah, always. That is so Mm -hmm. cool. I had no idea. (laughs) Have you seen an evolution in the popularity of specific styles as time has gone? Yes. What we say is like the new classic because it's been so popular is actually the oval diamond. Yes. Oh my God. Everyone has it with like <laughs> yeah. the thin gold band. Yes. Yeah. So surprisingly before like the 2010s, like very few people had oval diamonds. It was like almost in the category of like, you know, something more unique, like a pear shape or like a marquee. But then actually since Blake Lively got engaged with her oval, ever since then, it's risen in popularity year after year after year. And we're seeing more and more celebrities get them and everyone loved them. And I think it's because they're really beautiful feminine shape. 
They show their carrot weight well, they sparkle, and they're really finger flattering. So I feel like that's a trend that's solidified and like here to stay. Very interesting. Mm -hmm. I've also seen like, I don't know if I notice it because I have this, but I've noticed also in like a popularity in colored stones as well, beyond Mm -hmm. like what I ever saw before. Like I remember growing up, it was like diamond or nothing, you Mm -hmm. know, but I ended up falling in love with an emerald Mm -hmm. and, um, or or, sorry, a sapphire, not emerald. Um, And I've, I've been seeing like a lot of people I know and just like people on the internet have these like colored stones alongside a diamond or like in a way that just, I don't think it was very popular before. Yeah. I think colored stones, especially sapphires, cause they're hard enough to take everyday wear. So like yeah. corundum, like a sapphire ruby is a great yeah, option. Is, yeah, I've seen it as well. Great option for an engagement ring. I think like Princess Diana had that beautiful sapphire. sapphire yeah. So she's kind of like set that trend since then. And people, you know, have been loving like blue stones and everything since she's had it. Emeralds are a little too soft. I wouldn't recommend an emerald for everyday ring because mm-hmm. they're a little more prone to damage, but sapphires come in all sorts of colors too. Yeah, mine is green. Yeah. So you can have them in pink, yellow. And so they're a great option if you're looking for a colored stone that's still like sturdy enough to wear every day. Do you guys do sapphires as well for rings? We have been specializing in just diamonds, but TBD, stay tuned. We'll see. Yeah. (laughs) Um, What are your thoughts on lab-grown diamonds? My thoughts are that there's a lot of misinformation out there with lab-grown diamonds, and I think that they're just a completely different category, and we shouldn't be talking about them, like, in the same breath as, like, lab-grown versus natural because they are, yes, chemically the same. They're still really beautiful. If you're walking down the street, no one can really tell the difference, but they're what makes a natural diamond so special is that it's created in the earth over billions of years and it does hold that inherent value. So no matter what, even if you don't want to plan on upgrading or trading it in or selling it ever, it does. It is more of an investment piece rather than a lab grown, I say, is kind of like the fast fashion of diamonds. They're created in two weeks in a laboratory and they have no inherent value and they're a lot less expensive. So I think it's just a completely different category and whatever you choose, you should just be like really educated on whatever decision you end up making. What about moissanites? Because those are so popular now too, I've seen. I think lab-grown diamonds will be more of a competition for moissanites. I think they're kind of, I'd be nervous if I was a moissanite because moissanites are a totally different stone. They're a diamond simulant. So whereas like a lab-grown diamond is more of like a synthetic diamond, it's an actual diamond. Moissanite's a different material and it's more something that simulates looking like a diamond. It is less expensive than a diamond, but also doesn't have, you know, any inherent value to it. But if you're looking for something to look like a diamond, I would say between a lab-grown and moissanite, then I would go lab-grown. And what do you think made moissanites really popular? Because I didn't even, I hadn't even heard this word. And then all, like in the last couple of years, it's, I just keep hearing it. I'm like, what the hell? Moissanites were popular because they simulate what a diamond looks like, but for far less money. So if you wanted a bigger look, but you know, your budget didn't allow you for the size in a natural diamond that you wanted, then moissanite was the next best thing. Cubic zirconia is even less expensive. And I think it's a little bit easier to tell that it's not a diamond from a normal person just looking at the stone. Moissanites have a little bit more fire, more sparkle. So I think people like gravitated towards that versus like a cubic zirconia. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So 
I know you've been saying that diamonds retain value and they go up in value. Can you zoom in on that a little bit? Because I actually did not know this. Like typically like what I know is that gold appreciates in value, whereas diamonds are, you know, it's like something you buy because you like it and it's beautiful, but it's not necessarily something that has like high resale value. So, I mean, obviously depends on the market and times, just like with gold. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's something that retains value. And actually over the past two years, due to a lot of things where it's like depletion, demand, you know, geopolitical things from 2020 to 2022, like the prices of diamonds have risen significantly. I've actually had to reappraise most of my clients' original appraisals because like, for instance, in 2020, you could get, I don't know, two carat JSI1 quality round brilliant for like 14, 15,000. Now that same diamond is going to be at least 20,000. Wow, no way. Yeah. That is fascinating. Yeah, so they do raise in value or at least, you know, hold the value, but it really depends on where you're buying it from, right? Because if you're buying it from somewhere where you're paying a huge markup in premium, if you try to resell it, you're not going to get that back. So you also have to be smart about, you know, where are you purchasing it from and, you know, what are you using that investment for? So where do you recommend, like, what's like trusted sources? Like, how can you even tell that you're going to the right place? Well, so if you're going to like a luxury retailer, kind of like we mentioned before, like that you're probably paying, you know, that you're paying a premium for. But I think models like ours where we're direct to consumer, which is kind of like before you'd be called a wholesaler because you'd be getting diamonds and selling it to retail stores and retail stores to the clients. Now we're just going directly to the customer. Then you know you're not getting, you know, a huge markup on your stone and that you'll have more of the value. Very interesting. If you could leave our listeners with one piece of advice on jewelry, what would it be? I would say if you're, you know, starting to invest in jewelry, I would obviously invest in natural diamonds, solid fine metals like platinum, 14K or 18K gold, and start with classic pieces that never go out of style, like tennis bracelets, studs, things that are kind of going to stand the test of time that you can always like pass down or repurpose. Those are going to be the best ways to invest in jewelry. And when it comes to like bracelets and stuff, do you have a specific way you recommend that people stack their jewelry? Like say someone is wanting to start like a bracelet collection, like what's the best way of doing it? I would say you don't want like too many stones exposed and rubbing against each other. So if you have a tennis bracelet, maybe wear it with like a gold bangle or something that's not direct... I wouldn't put like diamond next to diamond necessarily because over time, if you don't take them off, they can wear on each other. So, Mm. you know, stacking appropriately, that's even with your, you know, bands, if you're wearing them, diamond on diamond is a little bit challenging because they can wear each other down. So put like a little gold band in between or something that can buffer it. Okay. Speaking of, how can someone preserve their engagement ring for longer? By taking really good care of it and not working out in it. Really? Yes. Why? (laughs) I always say, please don't work out in your engagement ring. So 
Your ring is presumably made out of a fine metal like gold or platinum, Mm -hmm. and they are malleable and they're not indestructible. I know people are like, isn't platinum indestructible? It's actually really malleable. (laughs) So the more pressure you put on your band, the more likely it is to go out of round and become more of like an oval shape. And if you have even any small diamonds set into it, they're going to pop out way easier. So it'll just require a lot more maintenance, a lot more repairs. So if you want to take care of your ring and preserve it and not have to repair it all the time, take it off when you get home. Like, don't be cooking in it. Don't be rearranging furniture in it or, like, dragging your suitcase around. Take it off when you're working out. Just, like, treat it with care. Okay, I am very pleased to say that I already do this, not because I knew all of this, but because I just don't like the feeling of constantly wearing rings. So I feel like it's worked to my advantage. Yeah, like when you get home, have like a ring dish next to your bed and just like put it there and just know it's like safe and like you don't have to like worry about it. Yeah, 100%. Okay, this is very cool. I'm glad I'm on the right path. Before we wrap, I want to do a quick rapid fire. Okay. So number one is what's a habit that's a non-negotiable for you? Personally, I just started doing this about a year ago, and now I have to. I journal first thing in the morning and at nighttime, and it really helps with my anxiety and my mental health and keeping me, like, focused. I agree. I've spoken at length about my crazy journaling practice on this podcast, but I am absolutely And I you. used to always, like, be judgy of people who were like, you should journal. And then I tried it, and it's actually good. Then my next thing I need to tackle is learning how to meditate because I cannot sit still for very long, but I want to. Have you read Dr. Joe Dispenza's work? Mm -mm. You should. I feel like that is what got me. I feel like I recommended it to you when I last saw you. I I need to write it down. Yeah. His book, Becoming Supernatural, is like incredible. It's what really got me serious about meditation. Okay. That's very good. Speaking of, what is a book that people should read if they want to learn more about jewelry and diamonds? Jewelry and diamonds. I actually... Don't think I have a recommendation. Really? So what is the best resource? I think some of the best resources are at the clear cut, our (laughs) our classrooms and our blog posts. But researching online, the GIA website is really great and has a lot of good information. We were actually talking about writing a book about diamonds and jewelry because we're like, there is Clearly we've identified a need. (laughs) Because there's a ton that just talk about, you know, beautiful pieces like in history the provenance things like that but I don't know one that's like an actual like guidebook guidebook unless it's you know like a textbook from like school well I mean it's something for you to consider because like I feel like people just want to learn yeah and as this industry becomes a little bit more open kimono because for a long time I feel like it was just hush hush Mm -hmm. and like people just didn't know anything about it and it's companies like yours, you guys are kind of like democratizing that information. And Mm -hmm. I feel like that will naturally lead to people wanting to read about it as well, because reading is like, for me personally, like I I read about everything. Yeah. And I feel, but I feel like now it's like, there's so much information and misinformation online too, that it's really hard for consumers to really know who's telling them the truth Mm -hmm. and who isn't, because a lot of information out there is just for people to, you know, make money. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. So who knows? Clear yeah. cut book potentially coming to you soon. Yes. It was always an idea I had, but we'll see if it happens. What is one piece of jewelry you feel like everyone should invest in and not an engagement ring? Mm-hmm. One piece? Yeah, just one. 
I have two pieces. Okay, fine, two. Okay, <laughs> two pieces that everyone needs is a pair of classic diamond studs. I feel like that's something that you can put in and never take out if you don't want to. You can wear them to the gym. You can wear them to a fancy night out, and they're, like, timeless and can be passed down. And also a tennis bracelet. I love jewelry that you can, like, kind of put on and style with everything else, but it's just, like, classic, timeless, like, will not go out of style. Those are, like, the best investment pieces. Love that. Olivia, tell everyone where they can find you. You can follow us on Instagram and TikTok at The Clear Cut, and you can check us out at www.theclearcut.co. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. This is so fun. Thank you so much for listening. If you loved the episode and feel like it brought you value, don't forget to rate the show and leave a review. It takes five seconds and really helps the show grow so I can keep bringing on awesome guests. If you want to follow me behind the scenes, you can find me on Instagram at Sif Hyder. And don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss a thing. I drop new episodes every Tuesday, so come hang with me and shoot the shit with some really smart people, learn and unlearn, and have a lot of fun. See you next week.